I know I promised you last week that I was finished with preaching on Paul. It just shows you that you can't really take everything I say and rely on it because sometimes I change my mind. So when I went back and reviewed my notes, I saw that I had had notes on a potential sermon on the leadership qualities of Paul. I hadn't really spoken about that. But in light of the fact that we are about to step into a new church, in light of the fact that I look at all of you as ministry leaders, and I want to emphasize that, every one of you is a ministry leader in some way. I felt it was appropriate to speak about the qualities of leadership that Paul exhibited in his life, that we can learn so much about that. And so he had demonstrated over and over again what a great leader he was, what a great Christian leader he was. And I want to bring out those qualities to you uh, today so that you can address them and perhaps attain some of them in your own life. Now, we know that he was constantly attacked by the forces of Satan, and Satan would do that for the next 2,000 years as Satan would attack all of the Christian faithful and does it even today. And so even in the face of those attacks, he would exhibit these incredible qualities. They weaved itself through his entire ministries. And so I want to focus today on those qualities, on those qualities that I believe you can adapt to your own life. And he wrote this, you see, in his letter to the Thessalonian church. He was in the church of Corinth. He would be in Corinth for about 18 months. And he would write this letter uh, in Thessalonians to the Thessalonian church, which he had visited. And he speaks there about how important uh, leadership was and what he had done there. And I want you to know historically that uh, Thessalonians is the oldest book in the New Testament. It was written about the year 49 AD. So when you read this, you are reading effectively the bedrock writing of the New Testament. As you know, Paul would go on to write really almost two-thirds of the New Testament. What a giant he is in every possible way. So now look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dare tell you the gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover our greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. 
because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship uh, in every way as we preached the gospel of Christ. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believe. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Wow, what a letter. What a letter. And so the first sermon point I have for you today is that Paul was a true shepherd. You see it in his heart. As brilliant as a man as he was, wherever he was, he was the smartest guy in any room. And yet you see a man not exhibiting an intellectual superiority, but you see a humility and a love and a gentleness and a kindness that is exuded from every part of his body. And that's the message for you as you step into the new church. This is how I want us to act as hundreds of new people are going to come into this church, as there will be neighborhoods who are down there waiting to be received into the kingdom of God, I want you to envelop them with love and care and kindness. And that's what this message is about. Now, the Thessalonian church knew Paul well, you see, uh, because he was no distant celebrity. He was not aloof. He got quite close to these people. He walked with them. He lived with them every day. And so they knew him quite well, and they were witnesses to his ministry. And what you see here is that they were witnesses not just to his words, but to his life. And I would say to you, the single most important thing you have is your life. That is what you're going to show to a lost world, how you live how the impact of the Holy Spirit is within you, how it changes your life, and how you will reach out to the unloved. They all knew, you see. They all knew about his suffering. They understood his words. They trusted him. They trusted his motive. He was no stranger to these people. Over and over, he implied that when you look back on my ministry, you see it in action. He was truly a shepherd in the first degree. And just as I'm called to be the shepherd of this church, you are also called to be under shepherds. Is that clear? And so I don't want you to think that you're absolved from that responsibility. God gives you that responsibility just as he's given it to me. And so first of all, as we drill down here, Paul was not offering them leadership ideals this wasn't just a praise written in the clouds. He was showing that leadership is personal, that the people needed to experience it personally. They needed to touch it and to feel it. He wrote a personal letter to the church appealing to his readers' intimate knowledge of him and his ministry. These qualities of leadership are attainable for each and every one of you, as I go through this sermon, all of you. 
And so first of all, we see here that he clearly was not a burden to them. He spoke about that. He said, we were never a burden. You saw that we worked night and day. And so the point was he didn't sit there really looking to be a burden to the people, but he was a servant to them, even as he worked and, and took care of his own needs and as the church saw fit to, to lift him up. But he wasn't begging for help. He was there to be a servant. Now, secondly, Paul's style of leadership was neither aloof nor secretive. He lived among them. And that's what you're going to have to do when we come to the new church and you bring people. You're going to have to live among them. You're going to have to walk among them. You're going to have to be there with them on good days and bad days. They're going to have to see the love of God in your life in every possible way. He didn't just preach a sermon and slip out the back door like some celebrity preachers do today or fly in on a jet plane and then fly out or then suddenly appear on television in which they pander for money. No, no. He was there every day walking with them, living with them. He was approachable. He was accessible. He was touchable. His life was an open book. He had no secrets. His life was open to the church. And most of us would agree that this is the type of leadership that we're looking for that is refreshing in every way. He had such pleasant memories, Paul did, of his service at that church. Uh, and he had such a loving fellowship. You see, this is how love comes about when people see you exert yourself in this way. We must remember that he limped into that church after being imprisoned and beaten in Philippi. I don't want you to think that he had some triumphant entranceway. Not at all. He had been beaten in Philippi. He had been imprisoned. And then he came to Thessalonia. And so one of the secrets you see of his success in leadership was that he endured. He endured. He wasn't hot and cold. He was there. Opposition and hardship did not matter to him. His only priority was that Christ must be proclaimed. And that's the lesson for you today. Proclaim Christ every moment of your life, in season and out of season. Be constant. And when you do that, people will be drawn to you. Now, there's also a warning here in this sermon. His life teaches us what to avoid as ministry leaders. First, spiritual leaders are not deceptive. We're not tricky. We're not trying to hide the truth. Uh, he indicated that in verse 3 in this passage where he said that his exhortation does not come by way of deceit. Why? Because there are people today in churches who are deceitfully preaching, who are not preaching the word of God. I recently read statistics that I found horrible about so-called evangelical churches where a significant percentage of the pastors no longer speak about John 14, 6, only one way to God through Jesus Christ. They don't preach it anymore. You see, it becomes deceitful. It becomes deceitful because we're not comfortable with the truth. We don't want to offend certain people. Well, guess what? You better worry about offending God. You understand? 
Don't worry about offending God, not your neighbor. All right? This is important to understand. Second, good leaders are not people pleasers. Good leaders are not people pleasers. We must be wary of not, of not being partial. We have to be careful in our work. We want to treat everybody with equality. We won't want to have certain favorites. We want to show them that we spread the love of God evenly among people. We don't want cliques in the church. Understand? I don't want cliques in the church. I want love spread universally. We must remember that we are bond servants to Jesus Christ. That's the call on our lives. We're not here to please men. Now, this does not mean that we should be abrasive. I recall a story which reflects on this issue about a husband and a wife that went to the doctor. The man was not feeling well. He went in to see the doctor after the examination. The doctor called the wife in, and he said, your husband's a very sick man. He only has about eight months to live, but you can turn it around. He said, what you need to do is every morning you have to make him a big breakfast. And then you have to kiss him and hug him. And then at lunch, you have to make his favorite meal at lunch. And you have to kiss him and hug him. And at dinner, again, make a magnificent meal and hug him and kiss him and tell him how great he is. And if you do all of this, he will live far longer than eight months. So on the way home, the husband says to the wife, well, what did the doctor say? He said, well, he said you only have eight months to live. <laughs> I'm sorry to say that is not how we express love. All right? We don't express love that way. All right? We want to be affirming and uplifting. All right? Uh, God didn't appoint you to be a critic. The fruit of the Spirit does not include criticism. Let's understand that. And so we need to focus on that. We do not want to offend people as we bring them in to Christ, and we will, and I believe that hundreds are going to come to this new church. You need to be there ready to embrace them in love. When we focus on pleasing God, the people will respond in every way. Now, spiritual leaders, another lesson for you is that spiritual leaders are not greedy, that means we're not greedy for money. We're not out there looking to bring as much money into our pockets. You know, that's why the Lord really covenanted with me when I took this position that I would never take a salary as the pastor of this church because I wanted God to know this church was not about that. Nobody would ever accuse this ministry of, of perpetuating their own affluence, that it would be dedicated to the mission field, that it would be dedicated to uplifting the word of God. It applies in so many other ways as well. We're not greedy for power. And I told you that this is a bottom-up church. This is not about me directing all the ministries in the church, but instead it's about you serving in ministry from the bottom up and going out into the world and changing the world. So it's not just about money. It's not just about par power. And so what you see is greedy leaders hurt people. They hurt people. Ministry suffers, and Christ is dishonored. Spiritual leaders are also not meant to be self-serving. God didn't call you to serve yourself. 
It's not about you lifting up yourself. It's not about you seeking glory from men. We are called not to get praise from men, but to get praise from him. You understand? This is important for you to understand this. Paul never used his position in any way to take advantage of the people. He never did. And so finally, when we take these negatives out of the way, the question becomes, what are the positive qualities that we need to focus on? What are the positive qualities of leadership? What does it mean? First, good leaders are sensitive to the needs of others. Sensitive to the needs of others. That means even if somebody doesn't speak to you about a need, you speak to them. You look for people that you know are hurting. You pray for them. Uh, Paul compared his ministry to a mother who tenderly cares for the needs of her children. Now think about that example. A mother isn't asking the kids what, what the kids need. The mother knows what the kids need. Intuitively, she knows what the kids need. And that's what you're called to do. So when these people come across our radar, be, be wary, be concerned, be aware in every possible way. His ministry was marked by a gentle nurturing of the flock. That's what, that's what leadership qualities are, a gentle nurturing of the, of the flock. God places all of you in a position of leadership in ministry. And I'm going to repeat that. God is placing all of you in a position of leadership in ministry. And so I urge you, really, to cultivate a spirit of gentleness, of kindness. Uh, after all, that is one of the first fruits of the spirit that people will look at. Your tenderness will work wonders in the lives under your care. And so just as I said to you, I want you to bring at least one new person. That person is going to be someone who's subject to your ministry and to your life. Now, we can appreciate spiritual leadership uh, that consistently reveals their human sides. This is important. You need to reveal the humanity that you have. You're a regular person. That's why I wear sneakers now when I come up here. All right? I want you to understand I'm a real guy. I'm not a fake, all right? In every way, I may be too real, all right? But that's the point. The point of it is people need to see transparency. You understand? Transparency. I don't act one way here, and then when I'm out in the parking lot, I work differently. That's not what it's about. Paul was stout-hearted. He was gritty. He was passionate, and yet he was gentle and full of grace. What a great, great man. Secondly, good leaders have affection for the people, legitimate affection for the people. We love the people. I love each and every one of you, and I want you to likewise love each and every one of us, even if sometimes we're not that lovable. You understand? But here's the thing. When I look at you, I should see Jesus standing next to you. And when I see Jesus next to you, shame on me if I can't treat you with love and kindness. Paul did not shrink from sharing his emotions uh, from the crowd. 
He was a man who was emotional. He shared his emotions. He showed the crowd his emotions. His words were intimate, and they displayed an incredible intimacy of love and affection. Uh, and so here's how we can approach this. We should all start with intimate, random acts of kindness. How's that? A random act of kindness. Seeing someone and exhibiting kindness and love and gentleness. Oh, my Lord, what an example this church would be if we did that. Can you imagine? Now, this can be done both verbally and it can be done in writing. What do I mean? Well, find out things about these people. Find out about their families. Ask them about their families. Write notes to them. Is that possible that you could actually write a note or send an email? Think about the impact of knowing that somebody cared so much about you that they took the time to write. That's a random act of kindness. Find out what they need. Maybe there's a financial need. Find out about it. Maybe they just need a ride to the supermarket or possibly a ride to the doctor's office. Can you do that? I think you could. And when they're in the hospital, can you take time to go and visit them? Is that possible? All of this is a random act of kindness that this church is set up to provide. And so we need to be aware of that, uh, that this is how we exhibit love to a lost world. The Lord does not need more bosses. You got that? The Lord does not need more bosses. I don't find anywhere in the fruit of the Spirit the term bosses, <laughs> judges, superior beings. I find servants, servants, servants over and over and over again. Here's the thing. You need to exercise the quality of love and affirmation. Uh, Paul had it over and over again. He was sensitive uh, and affectionate with, with people. If people know that you love them, they will value you. And if they value you, they will value Jesus Christ because that's what this is about, demonstrating who Jesus is, demonstrating how God has transformed your life. Now, third, good leaders demonstrate authenticity. As Paul stated in this scripture, quote, we were pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Simply delivering the truth in scripture and then living a reckless life is impotent. This is not what God has called you to do. Your life needs to back up every word that you say about God because otherwise your words are empty. You need to live a life dedicated to God. Simply delivering the truth is insufficient. God has called you more than delivering the truth. He's called you to walk, to walk in the truth and to demonstrate in your life what the truth is. He continued in this same passage, for you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not 
uh, to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. He wasn't bragging, but he was reminding. We worked night and day. You saw that, how we were. We dedicated our lives. Our lives were an open book to you and to God. Uh, he was demonstrating and reminding them of his diligence, his sacrificial commitment to God to share the ministry. This is important, especially so as we're about to step out into a new church. We have to share the personal experience of Jesus Christ, how we have become transformed by Jesus Christ to a people who do not know Jesus Christ. Look, people judge us by the value of our lives. I want you to understand that. Not the value of your words, the value of your life. And so I would say to you, are you walking the walk? Are you walking the walk? Or are you simply talking the walk? You need to walk the walk in every way as God will lift up that life. Fourth, good leaders are enthusiastically affirming. Affirming. You don't want to be like that wife who said, what did the doctor say? You're going to die in eight months. That's not the kind of affirmation we want. I want you to go out and raise people up, lift people up. When you see magnificent talent like you see here on the stage, you need to say to these people, God bless you. Thank you for what you're doing to bless our service. You need to tell each and every one of them how much you appreciate that. When you see people in the church lifting God up, you need to thank them. You need to be here 7 o'clock in the morning like I am and see people who are putting wires down, who are setting things up, and thank them for what they are doing. Thank them for the deaths, and we can thank them right now. Bless. <laughs> Affirmation. Affirmation. I don't know if there's anything more important in a church than affirmation. It's how we exhibit love. You understand? I affirm you. I thank you uh, in the eyes of God for what you're doing. I appreciate you. And I appreciate what God has done in giving us this church. Who would have thought, those of you that have traveled with us, really, in the desert for three years, as we move from the school to the hotel and back to the school and how we have to set up, who would think that God would give you that church that you saw out in the lobby? That's the hand of God. And you need to affirm God in every way and to thank God for the people that have exhibited leadership in order to give us this. We've been blessed in such a way. Uh, in so many ways. And so you see him speaking about this in, in his letter as he talks about affirming the people and loving them the way a mother loves a child and as a father encouraging and exhorting his children. That's your call. Encourage and exhort the children. You are ministry leaders. God is placing you in a position of leadership. And so this is becoming important. Understand the role of affirmation. All right? So many of us prefer the role of criticism. Am I right? Oh, I wish the church was a different color. Oh, I wish we, we had a better way of entering it. Oh, you know, there's a million ways that you can say something that you think is supportive, but instead is critical and is not affirming to the people of God. So what I would say to you is this. 
And I, I know this happens very much in the music field as I myself uh, was a church organist for 35 years. I understand this. Somebody always has some comment about music. I understand it. Music is a personal thing, all right? But I would say this. If it's something negative, swallow it. <laughs> swallow it and ask God to give you a filter, all right? And then read James. And then read the book of James, which tells you about the need to put a filter on your lips, all right? You understand? Because don't think you're advancing the kingdom of God by being a critic. All right? Remember that one of Satan's names in Scripture is the accuser of the brethren. The accuser of the brethren. You're not good enough. You're not holy enough. Who are you to get up and preach? Don't you think I had to live with that myself? Well, it took me years before I, I had the courage to step up and speak for God because I heard those words, you're not like your father. You're not like your grandfather. Who are you? I saw what you did in court. And you have the nerve to get up and speak. It's only when I realize nobody's holy. You understand? None of us are holy but for God, but for the impact of the Holy Spirit. And so as I stand before you and as you stand before God in ministry, God is touching each of us to step up and change the landscape in an important way. Encouragement is like an oasis in the desert. You understand? It quenches the thirst of people locked in self-doubt. Locked in self-doubt. We all have some kind of doubt. But I want you to leave here today with a promise to God that you won't be a part of that. Instead, you're going to be a part of affirming Christ in, in, a, in a thousand different ways. As he said here in his letter, so that you may walk worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So that you may walk worthy of God. That's what this is about. That's why we lift people up and while we affirm them. That's what this leadership is about. That's what you're called to do. And so ask yourself this question. Ask this question, how did Paul learn to do this? How did the guy who was persecuting all the Christians, killing them, putting them into jail, going to Damascus to arrest more, how did this suddenly happen to him? Well, it happened to him because Jesus Christ came into his heart. You understand? The Holy Spirit came into his heart. He was struck down and the old Paul died. The old Paul died because Christ slew him in the spirit. And the new Paul was touched by the Holy Spirit. And so here you see he met Jesus. And what happened when he met Jesus? Here is the key. Servant leaders must be willing to live lives filled with submission. There is nothing more important in your life than to fill your life with submission. Submission to the Holy Spirit, submission to God, submission to Jesus Christ, submission to the people of the church, submission to the church, submission to ministry. Not you, you, me, me, but him, 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 him in every way. It's not about you. Get it through your heads. It's about him and how he is going to use you. 
And so you see here in this life, this transformative life that changed Christianity forever, how he goes down by even secular leaders and historians as one of the five greatest secular leaders in the history of Western civilization, how the Christian church, the landscape, was put together by Paul. Yes, Jesus gave it to him, but Paul wrote it. Paul lived it. And people's lives were transformed forever. I put it to you, church, make a commitment today. Make a commitment today that this is how you're going to live, that your life is going to be transformative in every possible way. Let's bow. Lord, I thank you for the words that you've given us. I thank you for your message, Father. I thank you for the example of this great man who's touched our hearts. I thank you for understanding how important submission is and leadership in the church. And so, Father, I ask that you anoint every single congregant today, that they give you their hearts, that they make a commitment to you today to be the kind of ministry leader that you want us to be, Lord. Seal this message with your Holy Spirit in every way. Bless every person today and draw us closer to you, Father, in every way as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen, church.